Welcome to It's a Crime. I'm Linda and today we're going to be talking about the interview with Melanie and Ian Pulowski on Nate Eaton's East Idaho News. And I'm going to give you a summary and some thoughts and I may even split this video up. So I'm giving you part one and two today and part three will shortly follow. But before I get into it, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below and hit that notification bell. Make sure you click it to all. We have just hit 60,000 subscribers and our family is growing. Thank you so much. Click that like button if you do support this video and share it out where you can. Now let's get into it. So I've spent the better part of today going over the interview with Melanie and Ian Pulowski. And in part one, which was actually I believe a couple days ago, and I will leave the link in the descriptions below, but they start off by talking about Alex and his death. And Melanie starts saying, you know, we knew it would be natural causes. She said it's just one more stepping stone to revealing the truth of what's all going down. And she was actually also talking about the media and Ian joking about, well, you know, what are they going to test for invisible poisons, which I found was interesting statement. Now, a big thing right from the get-go, I kept finding myself going, what did she just say? And then rewind, rewind, and listen again, because there is a couple of nuggets throughout these entire part one, two, and three that... Um, she either contradicts herself or she actually says some statements that's kind of weird. So here's for example. She says, when Tylee and JJ show up, you know, again and are here again, I thought that was a weird statement in how she worded it. Especially because she's saying, you know, she doesn't know where they are, but now they're just going to show up again. So meaning maybe that they're hidden. Then she continued to talk about Alex saying she talked to him that day that he died. She said even the week before he wasn't feeling all that well. He complained of shortness of breath. She called him a stubborn guy. She said he was a tough guy, wouldn't even put a band-aid on even if he bled all over the place and he wouldn't do regular checkups. And she then was talking about going to meet up with him. And this was another interesting bit. She said we were going to meet up at one point to bring him some of his stuff. And the thing that popped out right away is Alex moved back to Arizona after he got married to Zulema. So they were living in Idaho. They got married on November 29th and then they moved right after that back to Arizona. So Melanie's talking about, you know, we were going to go meet halfway and bring him some of his stuff. But here's the interesting part. He already left at the end of November to Vegas. The cops came in and they said his apartment was empty. So where's his stuff? And why is she meeting him with his stuff? Did he put some stuff in the storage unit of Lori's? Or did he put some stuff in Melanie's house? I found that pretty intriguing. Or maybe did Ian have some of his stuff? I don't know. So she said, and I quote, we were going to meet up at one point. I was going to bring some of his stuff because he moved down to be with Zulema. And he then said, let's not meet halfway. Let's wait. I'm not feeling very good. And then Melanie said, that's big because he wouldn't normally do that. You know, say, no, 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 I'm not feeling very well. But she did say the week before he had troubles breathing and tightness in his chest. And he even said that he bent down to pick up a bottle and it took the breath out of him. And Zulema was really concerned and that she wanted Alex to go to the doctor. But he said, you know, no, I'm going to be okay. I'm fine. She then talked about 
calling Alex every other day. She said she could tell him anything. You know, he was just like a vault. And they talked about her marriage and that he was actually her best friend at that point. That's what she said is best friend. And she also mentioned how he's a trucker. So he's, you know, always answering the phone and they would just have chit chats. And Melanie said she wrote things down that he said to her. And Nate interrupted and said, like what, right? And she says, well, he said to her, Melanie, the most important thing in your marriage is to be loving, be supportive and be patient. And he kept repeating it. So she thought that was important and she wrote that down. And she said it was actually his last words to her. And he also said, everything is going to be fine. Just keep moving forward in faith. You're going to have your kids back soon and everything is going to work out. Just go on faith. And at that point, she did not have her children and you know she's confiding in Uncle Alex. Then she said she got a call later from Zulema, told her the news about Alex dying. She went into shock and she said she fell onto the floor and just felt all the feelings of losing such a close friend. And she said most of her life she wasn't actually close to Alex, but after starting to have challenges in her last marriage with Brandon Boudreaux and uh, the kids, that they would just talk while he was working on the road. And she said he never judged or put anybody down and nobody could do wrong in his eyes, which is really interesting how that perspective from her because we know something different, right? She said he's someone who's positive and she said she was missing her four children and Alex picked her up every day, you know, in emotions. And then Nate asked, you know, how Zulema doing in all this? And she said she didn't really have a chance to mourn the loss of Alex and she's not ready to come forward and share her story and that she's trying to get through every day and she misses her husband. And Nate says, okay, you know, he switches gears and he says, now there's really limited information about both you and Ian and, you know, let's hear a bit about you guys. So he says, could you tell us, you know, how you met, how you ended up in Idaho and back in Arizona. So Ian pipes in and he says, you know, he grew up in Southern California. He got married in 2010, moved to Idaho in 2011 and had two kids together with his ex Natalie and their names are Max and Lily. I believe he said they were nine and seven. And he said, I would love to get them down to Arizona. He said in his history, he started school at BYU Idaho and that he never finished. And he said once Natalie and Ian hit their ninth anniversary that Natalie had asked for the divorce and they navigated through that. That was in March, 2019. And then it got wrapped up, he said in July of 2019. And then he said he decided to jump back into dating and he said he talked to friends and family and said he wanted to get back out and meet people. He said it wasn't a goal to get a wife, but that's what ended up happening. He said he downloaded the dating apps and I mentioned in previous videos, they were talking about the app Mutual and he said he hated talking through text. So right away, you know, he asked Melanie on a date and then they met. Now that was in November. I have an interesting little info in a minute here that I picked up on, but so Melanie says, that she moved to Rexburg on the first week of November and that Ian and Melanie actually lived across the street from one another, which is true. I saw that actually last week when I was doing some research that they were in fact just right across the street. And Ian said that everything clicked with Melanie and they had similar experiences and divorces and their lives and their struggles and that they understood each other. He said he found no judgment with her or preconceived notions and that she just wanted to get to know him. 
And then Ian said they talked for two days just constantly. And he said, you know, previous people, he was trying to make up reasons why to go on a second date, but it was super easy with Melanie and everything just flowed. And then Nate goes in and says, well, and then you got married shortly thereafter, right? And Ian says, one of the things that got us so married so quickly was our children. He said, I learned she had four kids and he loved that and that she knew that he was a dad right away. And he did mention he hasn't even met Melanie's kids yet. He says, I still haven't had the opportunity to meet her kids yet. I can't wait. And then before they got married in and around Thanksgiving, um, Ian went with his two kids to family to celebrate. And then Melanie said, you know, I don't have anybody to celebrate. He invited her last minute. And then she went to Arizona and celebrated with Ian's family. And he did say that, his kids immediately fell in love with Melanie and that's the point where Melanie actually smiled because during this whole interview, during the good part of the interview, you don't really see Ian and Melanie, you know, interact very much. They very much, um, she held her hand like this, actually it was this side on, on this way, whereas Ian was sitting here and she was sitting here and had, you know, her arm like this and he kind of just held his water bottle and at first it just looked like, ooh, I wonder if there's trouble in paradise because of the way they were interacting. But at this one point where Ian was talking about his daughter, Melanie actually smiled. And she said she went into a gas station that weekend. And then as she was in there, Lily, his daughter says, don't blow it, dad. So they kind of had a little chuckle over that. Then when it came to the actual wedding, Melanie said this, it was really fast and I was in this battle still with my ex and didn't have my kids with us right then, but we felt both ready. We pray about decisions together and we felt that it was right that we should get married when we did. Vegas wedding wasn't dreamy or anything, but our goal was to be sealed in the temple one day. And Melanie goes on to say that let's do this, meaning getting married in Vegas while they have Ian's kids, Max and Lily. And then when she has her four kids, they can all celebrate together. So I did find that kind of strange that your new husband hasn't met your children yet, but yet you're going to the altar and getting married. I find that very interesting. And then Melanie talked about Alex and Zulema and said that they were dating actually for a few months and Alex was very ready to marry Zulema and that she actually had some hesitations and was just like, you know, I know we're gonna get married, but you know, like, let's wait. But they picked their date apparently. And the weird thing is, as Melanie starts saying that this coincidence, this is a coincidence that wasn't really planned or anything, but she kind of contradicts herself saying, you know, she decided to go, Alex and Zulema already were going and then, The way she worded it sounded like in one hand they were planned because there's a witness there and then in the other hand that it wasn't planned. So there's a contradiction there. But Melanie did say that she had two or three hours. Um, She said we got a dress and a tux and got the kids dressed up and got their hair done and that Zulema and Alex was there. Uh, Now, Nate asked more about Melanie's background. You know, where were you born and raised? And she said she was born in Utah. She lived in Phoenix as a baby, then California for a while, and then spent a lot of time in Seattle growing up. She then went and talked about her mom, Stacy Lynn Cope, as we know. And she did say her mom got really sick. And she actually mentioned the DVT blood clot, which is the deep vein thrombosis. And she said the cockside doesn't have very great genes and her grandpa 
had cancer and blood clots and she actually even mentioned how the police initially thought that Alex may have had a blood clot in his lung and it runs in the family so she says it made sense about all that so it sounds like there is a history of these blood clots she did also say that her mom had type 1 diabetes and gastroparesis, which is um, you can't have the ability to absorb nutrients, so you're going to have some issues, right? She did mention about her dad and her, that her dad was unfaithful and they just couldn't, her mom and her dad couldn't uh, get past that. And then she talks about Lori's parents, which is her grandparents, Barry and Janice Cox. They lived in California and that she lived with them for a while. She said Melanie's dad traveled a lot for his job and that when her mom felt healthy enough that they moved to Seattle with Melanie's dad. Then she talked more about when she was six years old. She said her dad said, hey, let's go get gas in the car and then never went back. So took off on Melanie's mom. And she said he turned the power off, took credit cards, her planner. And she said she was really, really sick. They hid out in a hotel room for a few months. Um, Melanie said that her dad started a nasty custody battle and she didn't really understand what was going on and her mom got so sick and she said I just think my mom ran out of money uh, she said she grew up with her dad and the stepmom when they got married and dad cut off all communication with the Cox family and she said she knew they were good people but she was told a lot of lies about uh, the family and that she said she just didn't feel right about it. Then Melanie said that her mom did pass away when Melanie was nine years old and she said Lori was the one that called and told the news. And she said your mom is in a coma and she's probably not going to make it and she said she remembers the phone call. And then she says, and I quote, I've always loved and trusted Lori. She's always been somebody that has so much unconditional love on her end, no judgment, no drama. I admire her so much and I don't think I would have wanted to have that phone call by anybody else. So then she said she flew up to see her mom in hospice with her dad and she didn't come out of a diabetic coma. And she said her mom was always sick, you know, was always kind of like we're not sure when Stacy's, you know, if Stacy's going to make it. And from nine years old on, Melanie's dad wouldn't let Melanie see that side of the family and said all sorts of things about them. And I wish that Nate would have said, you know, like what? What what did they, you know, what did he say about them? I just wish that would have, um, that would have been asked. I think that would have been great. And she said at 15 years old, she found her uncle Adam, who's the DJ on the radio, and she started connecting ties with everybody. But she did say that mainly her grandma Janice raised her. She said Lori would take her to go do fun things with them, but she wasn't super close to Alex until, you know, recently. And she said she never got his jokes, even though he was a comedian. And she says it probably takes me a minute to process, which I thought was funny. And she said she never connected as much as Adam or Lori. And they were so important to her growing up in her life. So... She goes on to say that her dad, you know, lied about how her mom died, saying that it was anorexia, she was mentally ill, and made himself look like a hero. That's what she said. She said, but she has all court documents and medical records. She then goes and relates this back to her own life, saying she's seeing the same pattern in her life 
that happened as she grew up with her mom and dad and now she's seeing it in her and her ex-husband Brandon Boudreaux and she said my kids know who I am but she's getting bullying texts from her Melanie's dad and she says it's upsetting she says my own father is helping my ex-husband right now and she did say and I quote if they thought I was really crazy in a cult and done something horrible shouldn't they reclaim me with kindness and love me anyways but she did say she's loving her kids from a distance and letting everything play out and doesn't judge anybody she did say this case is heavy and it's unlike anything I never thought this would be our lives it's unreal well yeah it's super unreal and kids are still missing now Nate touched a little bit about this he says you know when it comes to your mother's death people are talking they're saying that maybe Lori had something to do with it and Melanie just shut that down and said she died of natural causes it's on her death certificate she had type 1 diabetes and gastroparesis she said she got tested for everything including eating disorders and all that so well, that wraps up pretty much part one but in part two this is where I find it start to get really interesting Nate says, let me shift a little bit and talk about JJ and Tylee. He says, when's the last time you guys saw them? And Ian says, well, I've never met them. But this is where Melanie pipes in and she says, last time I saw them was they were packing up their home in Chandler where Charles had been shot. And I remember how emotional it was, just it's hard to be there. This is where this big thing happened and Tylee was like, it's hard being here in this house where that situation happened. Interesting a little bit that she says where that situation happened. Well, situation, he got killed, right? So you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I don't know if she just kind of doesn't want to believe it, and I'll... I'll give you some more goods on that but yeah, a little weird Melanie goes on to say that the court systems didn't protect Lori she said Tylee and Colby were abused by their dad Joe the court systems didn't protect them and Lori had a history of doing everything she can to protect Tylee and JJ and Melanie says she's always seen her be protective and you know do anything for the kids even since she was a teenager when she went and flew out uh, to nanny for JJ and Tylee she says, I've never seen any evidence or anything at all that tells me that Lori would purposely harm her children or anything. She says, I still see her as the wonderful mom she is. When I see her come in court, I'm looking for something off that I'm not seeing. That is a loaded comment because when she says that, I'm like, what? Who, Who are you looking at? She says, I still see her as a wonderful mom she is. When I see her come in court, I'm looking for something off that I'm not seeing. Have you seen her behavior in court? That to me is like, wow, you don't see that this is her normal? This is normal? To me, that's not normal. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Nate then asks, did you visit Rexburg before you moved? She pauses and Ian actually scratches his head at this point. It's just an observation. She said, I did on a weekend we have custody 50-50, meaning with her and Brandon Boudreaux. And she says, anytime I didn't have time with my kids, I go hiking or she says, I did go visit Lori for a weekend up there. 
And she says, Lori said, well, yeah, come see if you like it here and come on over, right? So she says, and I quote, we toured BYU Idaho. She said, Tylee was with friends and she always is with friends. So I didn't ask any questions about that. And JJ is always doing some type of therapy or with a nanny or in a school that will help him. And so if I didn't see him, I wasn't asking, you know, where is he? And I've always trusted her. And I known that they left to Idaho because they were being threatened by people. Okay, so she's telling Nate Eaton that she went for a weekend, an entire weekend to Rexburg to visit Lori. She does not see the kids the entire weekend. She does say that, well, you know, Lori said that Tylee's with friends. Okay, Tylee's 17, she's not really in school. Okay, I can see that. But what about the seven-year-old boy who's your younger cousin who has special needs and Sure, he may be, you know, having a nanny or some type of therapy or school, but it's a weekend and maybe the nanny, but then where wouldn't the nanny be in the home like this? When she said this, it was like, oh, I'm rewinding this. And I kept rewinding it because this shows here, like, I don't know, you're backpedaling on this one. I'm pretty sure Nate Eaton's thinking the same thing. Like, that's why he asked him. Did you visit Rexburg before? Like, what's going on? So he talks about this more in a minute, but this is very enlightening. Because you go for an entire weekend, not once did you ask, hey, where is JJ? Like, seriously, where, where's JJ and Tylee? So weird. And so then Nate starts getting into this more and says, you know, okay, so then you moved later in November. You didn't see the kids at all. Weren't you wondering, you know, did, wasn't that a little suspicious? And Melanie goes back to talking about, well, Alex helped her move on Halloween night because in my previous video, I mentioned how Alex helped her. Um, they went, they flew to Gilbert, Arizona from Idaho Falls and Melanie rented a U-Haul and then they drove back to Rexburg. So she said she was very involved in setting her home up. Well, of course you would be, that was a weird statement too. She says, I was very involved in setting my own home up. Well, yeah, it's your own home. Why wouldn't you be, right? Um, she did talk about leaving outgrown clothes and items on the driveway like Brandon Boudreaux's investigator had said that she left all this stuff out. But she said she took the stuff that was useful and important and left the stuff on the driveway. So fair enough. And she says, uh, we went the first week of November. It was a fresh start. She said, Lori is very independent. She was next door. But she said she spent most of the time with Alex, who came over and they hung out. She said she was having a hard time and very teary without her kids. And Alex lifted her up. So she goes on to say, and I quote, if I saw Lori, she was, you know, still moving in in that process and getting situated there. And so I didn't spend a lot of time over there. I did see some of their things and she had a room set up perfectly for Tylee and JJ and it didn't seem strange to me. I knew the threats she was getting from Kay Woodcock and from others and I guess I didn't ask questions because I knew that history, I knew what was going on and in my own head I'm trying to figure out where my own kids are. Okay, so I, I do want to back up on this because she said, if I saw Lori, she was, you know, still moving in in that process. Melanie moved in in November. And Lori moved in September. So I don't know about you, but two months goes by, you'd think you're getting settled. 
um, from moving, right? So that is weird. She says, uh, still moving in in that process and getting situated there. And so I didn't spend a lot of time over there. I don't know about that. I call BS on that one. I did see some of their things and she had a room set up perfectly for Tylee and JJ and it didn't seem strange to me. Weird that she described it perfectly. This is just my own opinion of, of what I see her saying, okay? There's not a bunch of weird things, but there is some things that does stand out. She said, I guess I didn't ask questions because I knew that history. I knew what was going on and in my own head, I'm trying to figure out where my own kids are. Maybe she does know the real truth. It sounds like in that statement she does. Then Nate says, you know, wait a minute, you know, people talk about when families gather, they usually end up talking about kids, they talk about soccer and recitals. And Nate says, so when you actually would see Lori, did that conversation ever come up? Where's JJ, especially because he has special needs? This is what Nate says. And Melanie starts a little bit diverting, in my own opinion, says, well, Lori would talk about friends and how funny they were and, you know, talk to this neighbor, this neighbor's not judgmental, this kind of thing. And then she said something that used JJ in past tense. And she said, JJ was very high energy and sometimes would be in everyone's space. And Ian at this point is looking uncomfortable. He's kind of shifting and moving, my observation. And she said um, she always talked about her children. Well, if she always talked about her children, then where the heck are they? And not only that is you're there in November until Lori leaves at the end of the November. And if she's always talking about her children, is it the same story anymore? Because she doesn't have anything new to say at this point if it's been 30 days and there's no child or children, I should say, right? Then she goes on to say this. During that time, I guess from November until I guess the 20th is when me and Ian started dating. I didn't see them, but I didn't see a lot of Lori. I saw Alex pretty much every day and any time I guess would go over. When I'd ask what Tylee's doing, oh, she's out with friends and we're doing everything we can to protect the kids from Kay. Kay's causing a lot of trouble right now. So this is interesting again because in my last video, we were talking about the app called Mutual where Ian and Melanie met and we figured this was about the middle of November but they actually met on the 20th is when they started dating and they got married 10 days later it's not even 14 days it's 10 days who knows I wonder if that's like dating on the app or dating in person on their first date that's that's crazy. So she says, I didn't see them, but I didn't see a lot of Lori. I saw Alex pretty much every day and anytime I would guess would go over. And yeah, so she's, you know, talking more about Kay and how she's causing a lot of trouble right now. I have here in brackets, who's we? Because she said, oh, she's out with friends and we're doing everything we can to protect the kids from Kay. Who's we? Like Alex and Lori? Chad and Lori? Who's we? Nate goes on to ask, well, did you live at Ian's place? And Melanie says, no, we kept both of our apartments. We had leases. And she said she slept at her apartment and they set up stuff at, um, at hers for Max and Lily to be there. Then Nate asks about the investigation. Um, she said Detective Hermosillo and another gentleman came to her door in early November when she was moving stuff in. So that would be the first week of November, right? And she says the second week, but then she talks about she's moving her stuff in, which was the first week. And she said she thought it actually had to do something with Brandon and her kids when the detectives came to her door. And she says, you know, like, I wondered what Brandon was up to. 
and the officers ask, do you know who lives next door? And here again is interesting. She says, yeah, I think Alex's name was on the lease. Sometimes my uncle's over there. Sometimes my aunt goes over there. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And you may or may not know that Melanie lived right next door to Lori. So she thought that Alex's name was on that lease, which is interesting in itself. And she says, sometimes my uncle's over there and sometimes my aunt is over there. So how does she not know? And this was just filmed right before Mother's Day, just recently. And how does she not know at that time who's living there and whose apartment that was? Super strange. She goes on to say, that was my first encounter with the Rexburg police, I guess. Then she talks about getting a text from Lieutenant Ball. She said the text said, someone broke into your home. I need you to call me right away. She ended up thinking that it was Brandon sending someone to break into the home, but actually it was the Rexburg police. They knocked down her door and took a lot of things, is what she said. Then she talked about Lori and Chad, and she said Lori and Chad had left probably right around when I was going to Arizona. They packed up and left, and I think it was a planned move and wasn't a last-minute spur because they talked about, hey, we're going to move to Hawaii at some point. And Nate says, can you see how this looks suspicious, though, the timing of them going to Hawaii right in the middle of all of it? And Melanie says... Everything looked suspicious, but I knew they had planned to move then, and I didn't know exactly when they were going to move. She says, I think having some basis of knowledge of what they already planned and what's actually going on makes it less suspicious to me, I guess. This is what makes me think she knows where these children are. She says she doesn't know, but this also makes me think, yeah, you actually do know where these children are. So Nate says here, where do you guys think JJ and Tylee are? And she says, I don't know. I've been asked that so many times. And as we know, I have had every fear in the world what could have happened to them. And I think most of December after Lori and Chad just disappeared and I had no phone number for them and no contact, I'm thinking the worst. So on one hand, she says, well, I know they were planning on going. And the other hand is, well, did she not say goodbye to them? Because I believe that Lori and Chad were actually in Vegas, and I will do another video on that in one of the patterns or something like that. But I do believe that they might have been in Vegas, and she may have seen them, and this is all, um, this just hasn't been outed yet, in my opinion. If you do want to see a pattern video, strictly a pattern video, let me know in the comments below. Then Lori's friend called Melanie and said she thinks this and that happened to the kids and she started freaking Melanie out. And they switched the subject then and was talking about seeing text messages from Kay and how she was treating Lori after Charles passed away. She also said that Lori was someone who always had a plan and she's always done everything to protect the kids. She said she bounced what if ideas to Ian all the time. Now. After she talks about this point, 
the lawyer beside Melanie actually wrote something down and put it in front where they could see it. You can actually see Ian reading whatever was written and Melanie just kind of smiled at this point. Then Nate says, so Ian, can you kind of just explain about how this document came to be? Remember, um, Ian actually wrote something in his laptop and Natalie got a hold of it and then this document came out. And he said the whole purpose of the document was to send to Melanie's lawyer so that they knew what he had gone through, um, gone in and told the FBI. And he said it, on December 19th, that he had been talking to police and a little later he told Melanie that he was recording her. And he said after he told Melanie, he wrote this and the whole idea was to protect her. And he goes on to talk about these are the fears he had and he wanted to tell the authorities and he said it sounds more affirmative than what I heard is what he said. And he said that he just wanted action and for this all to be dealt with. He said, at that point, I thought the kids were in danger. I thought there was something dark and sinister going on. I was afraid. And so things came out when I talked with the FBI in a way I shouldn't have. And I kind of regret the way I presented it to them because I feel like it's kind of blown things up more than it should have. Well, there's still children missing. So there's that. So I, I want to know, does he know more? because it seems like everybody in Lori's family is so super nonchalant. I mentioned this, I can't remember if it was in a live, um, but I did mention how Lori's family seems to be like, no, kids are fine. So we haven't seen them in, you know, almost a year, but the kids are fine. Whereas you see people like Brandon Boudreaux, um, who's, you know, not directly related, but related through marriage. And he's super concerned. Larry and Kay Woodcock are super concerned. And you know, all those extended kind of family members are super concerned, but everybody in this little circle is like, no, this is all hype. This is, this is, you know, it's not as big as what people are making out to be. Well then tell us where the kids are. So Nate says, okay, for the casual reader, there's some shocking stuff in all of this. And he says, you know, JJ and Tylee are possessed and zombies. Alex may have been taking care of the kids and, you know, he has great faith and trusts in the Lord. And this is what said, anybody who doesn't know what's going on, they're going to look at this and go, yeah, this is insane. That again shows me that mm, they probably know where the kids are. And he says, everything seems really off at this point because Brandon contacted Natalie. They talked about how Lori was in a cult. Melanie's in a cult. Somebody tried to kill Brandon and Alex killed Charles. Something weird is going on, you know, then Melanie gets her door kicked in. So Ian's coming from a point where I don't know what's going on. This is getting crazy, but let's get to the bottom of it. But then he says, as I continue to look at it, I'm starting to see that there's really nothing proving any of this. There's nothing proving that Tylee and JJ have come to any harm. Then Ian says, as I've, you know, gotten to know Summer and Janice, which is Lori's sister and Lori's mom, and heard more about Lori's life and the experience she's gone through, I'm starting to see, you know, maybe there's some reasoning behind what's going on. I have no clue what's going on, but I know that Melanie is a good person. I've loved her through this whole thing. You know, I was never really concerned about her, but in the beginning, I'm like, holy crap, her uncles are into some shady stuff. I need to try and figure out what's going on. Then Melanie starts talking about Charles before he died, that he brought a document over to Melanie and Brandon's home. They were still married at the time. And 
she said that Lori had found a lot of pictures of women on his computer and there were purchases. She goes on to say how, you know, Charles was in, in insurance. He was a lot of times on the road in his career and Lori had confronted Charles and Charles, you know, typically worshiped Lori and really, you know, thought the world of her. And as soon as Lori started asking questions, Melanie said that's when Charles, you know, changed and he flipped. And then she refers to the document and says, that's the first time I saw these stats about Tylee being dark and JJ being light. And she said she was just trying to process it. And Charles actually asked, like, Lori's calling me Ned. What do you take from all this? I don't understand what's going on. So it sounded like Charles was going over to Brandon and Melanie's home to ask, what the heck does this chart mean? But Melanie says that Charles was cheating on Lori and Lori wasn't telling everybody about it. She kept it quiet and she said he started emailing everyone in the family and he took JJ away and you're never going to see JJ again is what Melanie said uh, Charles was saying. So it's interesting how she's coming out with her point of view and the other point of view, but there's no mention in here at all about Chad cheating on his wife with Lori and Lori potentially cheating on Charles uh, before they split. So because we do see some emails of their back and forth and they're, you know, doing things together. So uh, it wasn't until, you know, October that we started to see, but, um, well, the storage unit video of Chad grabbing her butt and he was still married. But there was talk about how Lori was cheating on Charles. So I don't know if this is a projection thing and she's just saying, you know, Charles, you're cheating on me when actually she was, so... We don't know. But Melanie said she saw the same patterns in her own marriage as with um, Charles and Lori because Lori went and confronted Charles about these things and Melanie said she confronted Brandon about things. She didn't get into details, but she said it was very similar that all of a sudden Brandon switched on her and said, you know, you're um, crazy. You're never going to see the kids again. You're going to be excommunicated. And she says all because I just asked him some questions. And she said both Charles Unraveled and Brandon did the same exact thing. But it was interesting because she said this, Lori just moved on and she didn't play any of Charles's games. Oh, girlfriend, you should actually review the case because yes, she did. Remember, she like canceled his flight, moved his vehicle when he was going from the airport, stole $35,000, like she didn't play any Charles's games, okay. Then they talked about the day Charles died. And she said, well, Charles went to the house that day. Summer said, hey, Alex, will you go over? And Charles has been aggressive and acting crazy. He's gonna go over there to get JJ. Will you go over there in case something happens? And as you see, something did happen is what Melanie says. So interesting right here is when did Summer call Alex? Because Alex actually stayed overnight. So maybe Summer phoned the day before but it made it sound like, oh, hey, can you quickly go over there? But that's, we know that's not the case. And maybe she didn't mean that, just the way it came out. This is what Melanie says. And I know they're trying to change the whole investigation and make it look like Lori had something planned or Alex did it, but there's no doubt in my mind about that shooting. She says Brandon went and ran with this story to his advantage. He pulled me into the garage and he and my uncle Adam said that Charles had been murdered by Alex. Just finding this out, it didn't feel right. There's got to be something more to this. And so another interesting thing I noticed is that Brandon and Uncle Adam pulled her aside and said, 
Charles has been murdered by Alex. So I'd love to know the connection or the um, relationship that Adam and Alex had. And for Adam to pull Melanie aside and say, listen, like Charles has been murdered by Alex. Something's going on. I really want to know more about that. I think that would be very fascinating. Like that, that's interesting to me. And remember, Adam is the one that Charles um, forwarded his emails to him and said, hey, Adam, take a look at this because Lori is writing this email to Chad. I don't know what's going on with them, but she's signing it with my name. So very interesting. I'd love to know Adam's thoughts on that. So that was part one and two. And part three, I'm going to dive in and then I'm going to bring you that one. I'll leave you with a cliffhanger. <laughs> Let's have a chit chat below about this. You can give me your thoughts on what you picked up on in this interview. I found Melanie and Ian almost, um, almost like there's a little trouble in paradise. I mean, who wouldn't be? You're brand new married and all this stuff is going on and two divorces and I guess Ian's already divorced, but you have Melanie going through this crazy thing and then, you know, children are missing and they're being investigated and they're being interviewed. So, I mean, just in general, this would be tough, but let me know what you see in this interviews. I will put it in the description below. Let's have a chit chat. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Click the like button and click the share button. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.